0: Hello, my name is Nick Spacek and you're listening to From and Inspired By, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we speak with writer David Hollander about his book on library music, Unusual Sounds, and its companion album. (laughs) Sorry for the delay, kids. A long weekend of snow, freelance deadlines, and making tamales pushed this episode back a couple of days. I'm also recording this after pulling every muscle on my right side, so expect some weirdness due to pain meds. That said, I'm very excited about this episode. I spoke last month with author David Hollander about unusual sounds, the hidden history of library music, the book released last May by Anthology Editions. In my review for Starburst magazine, I described the book thusly: David Hollander has crafted a book which appeals to the reader interested in history, music or visual arts. Most readers will approach it thinking they know nothing of what the author is discussing, only to be amazed at just how much of the music discussed within the covers of Unusual Sounds is familiar to them. We had a great chat about the book, its companion album from Anthology Recordings, and Hollander's History with Library Music. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. I really appreciate it.
1: Okay, it's my pleasure.
0: I'm so excited to talk about the book and the album. Like, I've uh, been sort of singing their praises to everyone since they both came out, so...
1: Excellent, excellent, cool. So, it
0: seems like library music is kind of having a moment.
1: It does seem that way, actually. It does, very much so. Um, How did you originally get interested in it? You know, I was a pretty serious record collector and um, by day a filmmaker. And, you know, at some point a little over 20 years ago, I came across um, some library records in a record store in Los Angeles called Record Surplus. And um, they were from a library called um, Major or Valentino. Um, and they were in these generic sleeves and uh, had these, you know, short bits of music that were meant to describe certain action that would happen within a film. And, you know, I just got hooked. Uh, it, it made a lot of sense to me, you know, the, the sort of utilitarian nature of the music. Um, I'd always sort of been listening to music um, with an ear for uh, filmmaking and, and narrative and the way how it functioned within narrative. So, you know, the minute that that I uh, got my hands on the first little stack of these major Valentino records, uh, I was totally hooked. And then I started to acquire furiously. And this is, you know, before... Um, before really internet sales and ebay and all that so you know i had to really go to great lengths to find these records um you know while there were some i definitely found some right there in los angeles where i was living because that's where many of them wound up um i also uh quickly understood that the that i needed to um get them from Europeans, that they were, you know, more plentiful in Europe. Uh, and so, you know, I just began that, you know, obsessive quest to, um, to acquire library records. And, and I did some, you know, initially some really large acquisitions. I did one very large one in San Francisco, um, gosh, around... 93 or 94 where I got whole libraries. Oh man. Uh and and I, I got really excited about that. <laughs> um and I liked the way they looked on the on the shelves, the spines, the matching spines. I think the first library that I got the full run of was Teams International. Oh wow. That was a library that, you know, includes the two Allen Q records, the Drama Suite Volume 1 and Drama Suite Volume 2 which were used you know, both in British uh crime drama, but then, you know, found its way to the the Twilight. I mean the the people's court theme. <laughs> yep. See that was one where I was just at that point, you know, I was I was a I was a lost cause. And then I, I did get some others. I got a huge um collection from a guy in the Netherlands and this was this was again before eBay and you know I w- I paid him a lot of money for something like I want to say 800 records you know not really knowing after <laughs> sending him this you know this money order this international money order that he would actually send me records you know and then over the course of about a year he sent small parcels um, that had you know 15-20 records in them and it took, like I said, a year to get all those records. But then at the end of that I realized that oh, wow. run of the Cam Library. Oh wow. Which is you know, really in some ways the you know, the, the, the greatest Italian um, library just because it it was it was like a, a label like Varese Saraband, where sort of precedes Varese Saraband, but where they were just um, putting out film music and film soundtracks. And then what I think they did was then they, they repurposed, at least in certain cases, some of those film soundtracks into library records. Um, and then, you know, obviously it took me years later to complete that label, but I did. And, uh, and so, you know, and then I got involved after getting those first uh, major Valentino records in reissue. And I did a reissue in like 2000 called Cinemaphonic Electro Soul and that collected major Valentino um records and that was interesting because it, it did very well um and and I think that that was in part due to the fact that um you know the, the the audience the sort of original audience for for library music and that came out of you know reissues that were happening in Europe like on Right Tempo and Easy Tempo and Trunk Records, you know, 20 years ago or so. Um, th- that was like a largely European audience. So when I, when I did this one, uh, you know, compilation of Major Valentino, it, it, it caught on really good. and I, I wondered why, but then I realized that, that it was an American library major. And it did have some European composers in it. They did license, you know, they got music from Europe, Europe to put in their library, but then there was a bunch of American music in there, including stuff by Walter Murphy, who, you know, went on to kind of do the, you know, uh, Saturday Night Beaver song <laughs> and then the family guy. But, um, but I realized that, you know, the, the audience that was really into this, which was largely at that point a, a European audience, Um, had not really heard American libraries because they're, they're, you know, in the vintage sort of era, there aren't that many American libraries. So then from, just (laughs) sorry to go on, but then from um, reissue, I got into music supervision and music editing, synchronizing uh, vintage library music for cartoons and things like that, mostly cartoons. And then I wound up doing a, a feature film called Black Dynamite, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, was really, at that point, one of the, you know, the first films in, in, in a long time, you know, since the day, that, you know, relied heavily. Uh, almost, there's there's some original music by Adrian Young on the soundtrack, but the majority of the soundtrack is, um, is it's library. So, and then at that point, you know, I, I, I also, 20 years ago, after I, you know, gotten really deep into this is I went to Europe and I visited the libraries and I started to look at kind of LPs they still had and, you know, if uh, they had mass tapes, you know, extant, and, you know, if things had been digitized. So at that point, I sort of started taking on more the role of an archivist of this stuff.
0: Well, and it, I mean, it seems like you've obviously an archivist because all of the art in that book comes from your collection.
1: Um, yeah, all but a few records, yes, indeed. And, um, you know, and it's and actually is funny because, he, you know, the, the way that this has been going um, over the past, you know, three or four decades is that the libraries um, have been purchased I mean this has sort of been the trend in the entire music industry. But the library the libraries have been purchased by, you know, major you know, one of the major uh music companies. And and at that point, you know, they sort of they because those those are such large corporate entities, they sort of lose the thread. And a lot of times we'll just purchase things you know, because they want to get the performance rights on it and have no interest in digitizing it or archivally, you know, uh, protecting those assets. So, you know, I've also, like, in dealing with them, you know, uh, wound up in the position of, you know, kind of consulting them, you know, as to what they might or might not own. Because they don't really, I mean, in cases, they don't even really know
0: what's 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 astounding is that you like you were able to talk with like so many of these composers and like the people who were like r- running the labels were were you were you traveling to speak with these folks were were the, it was I was yeah
1: absolutely I went and made a couple of trips to Europe with that in mind specifically and uh, and in fact you know <laughs> I think that at least some of the people You know, this is going back now, mind you, 20 years But at that point Some of those people thought maybe I was insane Or, (laughs) you know, just uh, a a very eccentric person Um, Because I don't think that at that point They necessarily saw the value in those things Again, while there was this trickle of reissue coming out um, You know, in general, there was no synchronization There was no usage of this stuff and there was just this kind of handful of people out there, uh, many of whom were kind of coming from the sample-based music production world, um, who were interested in these records. Uh, So, you know, what I will say is that over this period of time, I have seen the attitudes change uh, greatly, And, and, and I think that that is that is in response to the fact of what you just kind of started by saying, which is that I think library music is having a moment, you know, and there are certain, there are certain cases uh, of usage of vintage library music that are just so in your face, you know, like, um, something like the music from, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Mm Mm-hmm which is, you know, it's from the RCA Italian Library, and it's stuff by Luciano Michelini and uh, Franco Michalizzi. That's, you know, that's a, a perfect kind of case where the music really becomes a character in the, in the show, you know, and, they, and, and through repetition and through, um, you know, uh, this really kind of unique sound, which is, you know, distinctly Italian and distinctly vintage, distinctly from a certain period of time, um, you know, kind of really makes the show. Uh, So, you know, I think that little things like that kind of help to make the case that, in fact, this stuff is worth preserving. And in fact, not just preserving, but, you know, bringing to audiences now what was
0: the the process of like putting together the the companion album that just came out because like i mean i know you start off with like a very recognizable library track probably like one of Mm -hmm. the top five the most yeah uh keith manfeld man's fields funky fanfare but like what what was the the it it feels more like an album than like a mixtape like i mean it feels like it was curated very closely
1: you know, the idea there was really that you know library music is is really endless. and when you start to get into it, it's just it, it can really consume you. you know there's there's a lot to go through. Um, you know, what I in, had intended with the comp is to really kind of um, make a primer you know, like an entry point for people so that there would be some recognizable tracks in there and then there's some others that are less recognizable but that, you know, are personal favorites of mine but what that's really sort of meant to show is that um, the sort of deeper and deeper that you look um, what you find is that there's, you know there's incredible music of all kinds in library, you know in in, in earlier sort of Flap years of interest around library music. It has been, um, you know, um, centered on really kind of uh, a narrow bandwidth of of library music, kind of like funky mm-hmm. stuff, you know, funky jazz, funk, um, uh, groovy kind of music. And 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 the fact of the matter is, is that there's like you know, because of the nature of library music where there has to be, you know, one of everything, at least one of everything, um, then what you find is that there's, you know, incredible, uh, you know, uh, new age in there. You find that there's incredible sort of 20th century avant-garde. You find that there's, um, you know, uh, some sort of proto- uh, electronic for, you know, a proto version of every electronic genre known, uh, you know, so that's kind of what I was trying to, to, to guide people to is to understand that there's really everything is there. And, uh, and it just sort of depends on what you like and what you're looking for. I actually think like, for instance, I'm about to do, um, a comp that collects um, a bunch of work by Joel Van Drugenbrook, who is on the the comp.
0: I was Joel Van Drugenbrook's bring, bring up that a Really interesting guy. Yeah,
1: I'm going a brain ticket exactly. And I'm going to actually be interviewing him this week, um, which I'm really excited about. But um, but you know, Joel, he was like you know he was in a, basically a a, a Prague rock or Kraut ish y band. Um, and so he brought that sensibility to the library music that he made. And it's really quite unlike, you know, uh, anything else. Uh, it happens to be on a ger- mostly on a German label called Color Sound, which is a label that I've really been interested in since the beginning. And Color Sound is a, is a label that happens more in the 80s and really contains a lot of this kind of, you know, other-sounding stuff so, and have, uh, again, really amazing artwork on the cover. So, you know, um, I'm excited about that. I included him uh, in in the comp. Um, there's other things there that I think are, are, are really uh, worth listening to, even though they're sort of more idiosyncratic. Like, there's a song there called Weeping Eelgrass, <laughs> which is, um, you know, by... Um, gerhard narholz gerhard narholz is a like i think one of the most fascinating people in all of library music largely because well a you know uh, working under various pseudonyms gerhard narholz i believe has more um compositions to his name than anyone else in the genre oh. and it goes into the ten tens of thousands and uh and then, you know, he's also, Sonotone, the, 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 is he's the owner and creator of Sonotone. So he's a composer, he's a sort of businessman. And then when you look at some of those Sonotone full bleed, he was also one of the first people to bring a really kind of uh, graphic visual sensibility to the cover art. Um, you know, those full bleed Sonotone, uh record covers, those were shot by him on his Hasselblad. So, you know, it's like, he's a a super fascinating guy. And then, when you listen to the piece of music that I included of his, you know, it's one of these things that, if you're going through a lot of library music and listening to it very quickly, you might miss it, you know? And yet, it's this kind of sublime, you know, flowing, uh, you know, piece of electronica that, you know, For me, it got really under my skin.
0: Everything in the book, it seems like the the introduction by George Romero has had like this astonishing like uh, set of legs on it because yeah. because like it, it, it's like I've seen it pop up in like different articles here and there like on Dangerous Minds and stuff like that and like obviously yep. Waxwork just put out the the full Night of the Living Dead score for the first time yep um, and it's it, it's it, it seems like it's just such a love letter to both you know film music but also library music in, in particular yep. were you were you expecting to 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 get like this you know what gift? I was
1: totally shocked by that when we heard him, I was like expecting him to write you know a page and a half of text you know um i was I was thrilled that we had we gotten him. I was like okay, we'll see what happens and then when he sent that thing it absolutely blew my mind. It was a beautiful, beautiful piece of writing. It was much, much longer than I thought, you know, in, in much greater detail than I thought he would go. And so I was sort of, I was beside myself. I was over the moon when, when we saw that because I was like, you know, it's really, for me, you know, um, I, you know, it, like we, we we've gotten into this, Realm when talking about music, where uh, there are a lot of kind of self-styled experts who are sort of mansplaining things <laughs> about what they like about music, and um, you know what I've always been really interested in is is not only talking to the composers, but talking to the filmmakers who use the music, and in fact, even wanting to know, you know, wanting to create a database of where library music was used, which is kind of a, um, you know, it's sort of like a Sisyphean task because the libraries didn't really keep any records of, you know, the usage. I mean, there's obviously the high-profile usage that everybody knows, like Monday Night Football or People's Court or whatever, you know, grandstand in in the UK, but... Uh, or, or a grain chill, whatever, you know. Uh, but in terms of, like, finding where, you know, genre films, which is another passion of mine, um, use, the, use the work, it's like, you know, it's like a forensic nightmare. It's like a needle in a haystack kind of thing. So, you know, just having a filmmaker of such, you know, import, uh, talking about using library music, I think was really... Um, a significant thing for people to kind of get the full picture of what library music is all about. Because, I mean, bear in mind that, you know, library music has been in continuous usage, you know, from this period to today. Um, but people don't really talk about it. It's one of those, you know, uh, like profoundly anonymous categories of, of production.
0: I have been astonished as I have over the years delved deeply into music in film music, then mm-hmm. to discover like how many like tracks I enjoy and like associate with certain things, are library music tracks, like, mm-hmm. like, uh, Sid Dale's, the Hellraisers uh, for you oh, know, yeah. something weird's, uh, infamous video reel. Like, like I yep. can't, I can't hear that song without you know having like certain <laughs> quotes play behind it, and so it's 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 like the fact that like there are books like yours um out there have really made uh like learning more about this uh really um it's made it much easier and I appreciate it hey, well uh,
1: excellent that's great to hear i mean what I will say is that you know one of the insights that I gained when I started working as a music supervisor and a music editor, was just uh, the sort of um, the power, if you will, of compositions that, that really work, you know, that just work. You know, a perfect example is just something that I used endlessly when I was doing uh, kids' cartoons was um, a Keith Mansfield track called Teenage Villain. Hmm. Which you should just go and look it up on on YouTube. It's there. Um, it's one of these tracks. I mean, I synchronized it scores of times, um, and oftentimes when like uh, like a villain came <laughs> into the frame, it was like it's just you know a teenage villain, like a like a you know a, a a gang kid or punk, you know, like picking on a bully or what do you know to say like this this track just works. And so, you know, that got me kind of interested in, you know, sort of really paying more attention to, you know, what what I really liked and what, what you know, what, what was speaking to me in terms of all this music because I absorbed so much of this music all at once. And there's sort of two different categories that I think are worth distinguishing and talking about library music. And one is the library music that, like I said, just works and is really good for synchronization. Um, and then the other one is is the library music that is just impossible to synchronize. And for whatever reason, it's too out there or whatever. Um, and so I kind of call that like brilliant, there's a lot of brilliant failures <laughs> in library music where you have somebody making library music that is like eminently listenable, at least to me, and with my taste, but you could never really find a place in a film or a television show to use it um, because it just doesn't 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 make sense narratively. So, you know, one guy I talk about in the book um, is a guy named Giampiero Boneski, who I'm a huge fan of, and he did like you know more, at least in my collection there there are about uh, forty one of his records <clears throat> and counting. He made more. Um, and, and I, you know, I have a tough time believing anything he ever made was synchronized. He was an older guy. He was like a band leader who did big band music and then got, a, you know, a, a portable, you know, analog synthesizer, presumably a mini-move Model D, and started to make these, you know, library, electronic library records in his studio solo. And, like, this is, you know, most of it is astrato, which is abstract electronic music. And it's just really some of the, like, wildest music I've ever heard. And, you know, it's really interesting because it's like you think about other electronic music that uh, was being made at that time um, by various and sundry people all over the world. It's like, you know, in some ways, Giampiero was m- most unlike those other people, you know? <laughs> so, like, what he brings to it is totally his own and uh, is just, like, unmatched in-, in terms of its weirdness. And so <laughs> I got really into that as well. Like, I got into people who, like... Because <clears throat> the other thing that is to be remembered, you know, with Laguna music is that... uh You know, there's a lot of terrible library music, and you have to go through a lot of library music to uh, find the good stuff. And then oftentimes when you find something really good, there might only be like one or two good songs on a a record, you know? So there's a lot of kind of slogging through this, you know, very mundane music in order to get to these, um, you know, these gems But then once you get there, it's like, you know, it it could be anything. I mean, it really could be anything. There are are records of, like, faux-ethnic music, you know, that's not made, that's being appropriated, um, that are fantastic. You know, just because, again, of the approach.
0: Oh, man. Uh, Sir, this has been absolutely fantastic, and I want to thank you for talking with me.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. And if you need any any more info or have any other questions, feel free to hit me up by email. And do let me know when it comes out. I'd love to take a look at what
0: Absolutely. you come up with. Absolutely. Um, where can people find
1: you? You know, uh, uh, the, the, well, I'll tell you this. This you is something worth mentioning. It's, I guess, a plug or whatever. But one of the things that I've done is, and this is worth kind of thinking about, it's like, you know, there still is, I talk about this in the book, but there's still a lot of, like, undiscovered library music. I would say the majority of that music, at least in my opinion right now, is coming out of Italy. And so there's, you know, there's literally new library records, you know, popping up every day that no one's ever seen. So I partnered with this young guy in Rome named Lorenzo Fabrizi who has a label called Sonora Music Editions. And I saw that he was reissuing like the right stuff and, um, and then getting his hands on the master tapes and all this and, and talking to the composers. Um, so I basically partnered with him. We started a new uh, library, which is being represented by APM in the, in the U.S. or North America, called Intermetzi. Mm-hmm. And what Intermezzi is doing is it's collecting vintage Italian library music to then be re- you know reused used by filmmakers today. And so the reason why I did this was because when I was you know doing a lot of supervision, you know there there wasn't there wasn't enough Italian out there to be used. In fact, the stuff that was used in the Kirby enthusiasm was from the RCA Italian library. That was the only stuff that's out there and there's better stuff, you know, lots of stuff. So now what we've done is started this new library called Intermezzi which um, you know is kind of going, you know, family by family, composer by composer, estate by estate, publisher by publisher and and and, and you know, uh, gathering that music. So there's a there's an Intermezzi uh page on um, Facebook and uh and so <clears throat> There, you know, that's going to be really cool because I think that we'll do reissue as well as we're doing. But right now, it's 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 a it's a library, um, and we just signed like a, a label called Eddie Pan, which was a library that was created by Bruno Nicolai. Bruno Nicolai was Ennio Morricone's longtime arranger oh, yeah. and collaborator. Well, he did his own library. A lot of times, you'd have a composer just do their own library, like Narwhal's. So, you know, Eddie Pan is an incredible library, and that stuff will start to see the light of day. And, and, and you know, that stuff that has been largely, uh, you know, overlooked, uh, just because of um, So you can find me there at InterMathy. And then the only other thing I do is I do a film festival uh, every May, the first weekend in May in Marfa, Texas, called CineMarfa, C-I-N-E-M-A-R-F-A, and the website is cinemarfa.org.
0: Wonderful. Again, thank you so much. uh, And enjoy the rest of your day, sir. Uh, Say again? Enjoy the rest of your day.
1: I will, and you too as well, Nick. Thanks Thanks. Thanks a lot.
0: You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, take care. Bye. Thanks to David Hollander for speaking with me. You can find information about Intermetzi on Facebook at library and via APM's Twitter feed at APM Music. You can find links to purchase all of the music you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at FromAndInspiredBy.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at From Inspired Pod. You can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and Stitcher as well. Please set up the website and click on the Give Us Money button to help pay for web hosting and long distance fees. And remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We'll be back in two weeks talking with composer Steve Herrlich about his work on the cult slasher Madman. Until then, thanks for listening. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.